0: Well good morning, Docs of Church. Guys, as always, it's it's great to see you, great to to be together. Guys, grab your Bibles. Genesis chapter one. Find your find your way there. We're gonna begin a study through the the great, the formational and really just the foundational book of Genesis today. If you're new to DOXA or newer to DOXA, guys, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it's an honor, and, and we're really excited to have you part of our, our family gathering today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I mean, I'd, I'd love to have that opportunity. And so before you head out from service, I'd, I'd love to say hi. I'd get a chance to, to talk to you for a few minutes. But for those of you who are still online, you're at home, you can't be with us today, I just want to say this, guys. We miss you a ton. All right, the DOXA family is is not the same without you, and so guys we we miss you we miss you we wish you were here but we know that day is hopefully going to come sometime soon but we're we're honored and glad that you're here with us via the live stream today but here's what we got the the book of Genesis all right and as we get into this today here's here's the plan okay I'm going to kind of give you like a a brief overview in introduction to this book and then we're going to spend the majority of our time looking at one verse Genesis 1-1, okay? And by way of introduction, here's where I'll start, and here's what I'll say, okay? The name Genesis, all right? We're studying the book of Genesis. The name Genesis, really, we get this word from the very first words in this book, in the beginning, all right? In the Hebrew, it's the word Bereshit, and Bereshit literally means beginnings or beginnings and, or beginning, and this is what Genesis actually is, is Genesis is a book of origins, The book of Genesis is really placed at the beginning of the Bible because through it, we're really given the genesis of the doctrines that the the church, the Christian faith, really rests upon. All right, that through Genesis, we we get the beginning of the doctrine of God, which was honestly just a, a radical message that confronted the ideology and the theology of the pagan nations that surrounded ancient Israel at this time. Genesis is also the beginning of the doctrine of creation, all right, that likewise, like, this confronted the, the cosmology and the great myths of the pagan cultures that surrounded the people of God in these ancient days. In addition to this, Genesis also gives us the, the doctrine of man. And from the be, very beginning of Genesis, we, we learn about people, about you, about me, of all the people of the world, that mankind is simultaneously wonderful yet awful. Furthermore, the, the doctrine of salvation finds its Genesis in this book. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which we're going to get into in just a few weeks, Jesus, our, our great God and Savior, has his prophetic announcement in what theologians call the Proto-Evangelium, which is literally, literally just like the, the first gospel. We're going to see this. Guys, and, I, and I tell you all that to say this. What we know about God, what we know about creation, what we know about ourselves, what we know about salvation begins in Genesis, that we really cannot overstate the importance of the book of Genesis. It's extremely helpful, so important, and and totally timeless and relevant to us to study today. You know that, because if you think about it, if we consider the year 2020, okay, like a year that we all wish we could just have a mulligan on, right? It was just just terrible, right? Is there like a healthy amen to that, right? It just seems like everything kind of sucks in 2020. But I mean, we've been seeing so many terrible things happen throughout our world. So much division, so much brokenness, so much just separation and tension and suffering. Because Genesis is going to help us to understand why the world is the way that it is. Genesis is going to help us to understand why we as people are the way that we are. And Genesis is ultimately going to reveal what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do to redeem it and fix it all. And so Genesis, as we open it up and let God speak to, it, to us through it, is gonna give us really just a, a heavenly worldview, a great understanding of the life that we live in, and it quite honestly can change everything about every single one of us. And so as we look at the book of Genesis, okay, if we, if we kind of zoom out, there's 50 chapters in Genesis, but if you, if you zoom out to like 30,000 feet, all right, we see a very clear and simple thematic structure throughout Genesis. All right, so in, verse, in chapters 1 through 11, we're given what we call primeval history, or just another way to say that, the, the universal history of the world. And throughout these chapters, we, we really get the beginning of, of time, of space, and matter. And we see many of the firsts of human experience. Right, we, we see marriage and family and sin, redemption, judgment, justice in, in the nations. And then if you go forward, Genesis chapter 12 through 50 is what we call patriarchal history or, or covenantal history. It's the history of the nations, the history of, of really just salvation. And these chapters explain how Israel came into existence as a family. And through this, Through this writing in Genesis, God's people came to understand not only their ancestry and their family history, but also the origins of their institutions, their customs, and different cultures, especially basic human experience around the idea of sin and death. And all of this makes Genesis so incredibly relevant and helpful for us today. And the first 11 chapters, which we're going to spend the next like 12 weeks in, give us the universal history of the world and it does so by giving us five different narratives to consider and if you've grown up like in or around the church with a bible in your hand or your home you've you've likely heard these stories before right you have the story of the garden of adam and eve you have the story of of cain and abel you have the story of the the sons of god marrying the daughters of of men you have the flood you have the tower of of babel and these stories, they, they give us the universal history of the world. And, and what's so interesting to me is, is throughout my study in preparation for beginning this, this ser- sermon series is, is a man named Kent Hughes pointed out that all five of these accounts have four themes running through them. And the four themes go like that, that each one of these stories, what you see is you see the sin described, then there's a speech given by God, then there's the grace of God, And then there's the punishment for the sin that the people committed. And throughout all these accounts, guys there's this, you just need to hear this, this is beautiful about Genesis. There's like a thread of grace that runs all the way through the universal history of the world. God's amazing grace that we are going to see so clearly as we open up this book and study in it. Because as we work our way through all these stories, guys here is essentially what happens that explains why the world is the way that it is today. But since the beginning, God created everything, we're going to get into this, but then things in the world get progressively worse and worse, and the sin of mankind just increases more and more, and there's more and more brokenness, more and more suffering, more and more hurt. But as this happens, there's always the grace of God. Doxa, Genesis is ultimately about Grace. Genesis is about God's faithfulness, even when his people, even when we are unfaithful and sinful. And the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, really kind of shed a beautiful light and give a, a summation of what we see in Genesis as it relates to God, his grace, and his faithfulness towards us. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans five twenty: Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign. And throughout our study we're gonna see this. This is the pattern that we're gonna see. More and more sin. More and more brokenness. But more and more of God's amazing grace. And guys, it's, it's my hope that this will land on us as a church family. That this grace won't be just something that we hear about and learn about, but this will be grace that we experience through the man, Jesus Christ. Because this is what the Bible is all about and this is what Genesis is all about. So with that backdrop, All right, here's where Genesis begins. Verse one, take a look. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So Genesis starts with a man named Moses writing down a selective history of the world. And as Moses begins writing Genesis, he starts with God. All right, that Genesis is ultimately about God. In the beginning, God. Guys, in all the books are about God. All the books of the Bible are about God. All of history is about God. Everything is all about God. God is the creator and sustainer of everything. And so, guys, what this means is that no matter where you're at in terms of faith and your relationship with God, I just want you to know that Genesis is a great place for you to lean in and learn about this God that we're being introduced to. And as we read Genesis, guys, what you'll find is is this. Genesis is not an exhaustive history of the world. But it's a very selective telling of history by Moses, directed by the Holy Spirit. But it's very selective, not exhaustive. But the book of Genesis covers about 2,000 years of human history. And so it's, it's very selective. It's not telling us everything, but it's selectively giving us the parts of history that we absolutely know so that we can properly understand who God is. And this is where Moses starts He starts with God, and as we begin our study today with this idea of of God, and we're going to get into creation next week, we just need to know, and this is so important, you can't miss this, Doxa, Genesis is not a scientific textbook, and and you just need to know that because so many people will confuse what Genesis is actually about, but Genesis is, is not primarily concerned with matters of science, that's not its primary function, that's not its focus, Galileo said it well. He said this, the Bible is not preeminently concerned with telling us how the heavens go. Instead, the Bible is most concerned with telling us how to go to heaven. This is Galileo's point, that it's all about God. And so as we read and we study Genesis over the weeks to come, the months to come, guys, it's not going to answer every single one of your questions that you have about how the heavens go, but I want you to hear this it will point you to the God who can bring you to heaven. This is the point of Genesis. Genesis reveals to us God. And this is where Moses starts. Look back again, verse one. In the beginning, God. Now, there's two primary names for God used throughout the book of Genesis. And this is, this is worth noting because many people will read Genesis and, and they'll determine and conclude that there's multiple gods. Right, because Moses uses the word Yahweh and Elohim in reference to who God is throughout Genesis. But this is obviously not the case. There's not multiple gods. If, if we are people of the Bible and we, we know history, if we look to Deuteronomy chapter 6, six historically called the Shema, we, we learn that there is, in fact, one God. And in Deuteronomy 6, Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But Moses does use. Two primary names as he talks about God, Yahweh and Elohim. And I want to touch on this very quickly because it's going to be helpful for us to understand this God that, that Moses is introducing us to. But when Genesis speaks of God kind of in a universal way, in relation to all the earth into all creation and to all people, whether they love God or hate God, follow God, don't follow God, believe in him, don't believe in him. When it uses this general wording of God, it uses the word Elohim. Okay, so Elohim is just a general name for God and it emphasizes that God is powerful, He's great, He's mighty, He's a majestic creator. And in our Bibles, in our English Bibles, this is the word of God that just is the name God. It's Elohim. Now, in addition to Elohim, when Genesis speaks of God's relationship with his people, people who love him and he loves through his covenant and his promises, it uses the word Yahweh. And Yahweh is is God's personal name, and it's used in the context of him having a relationship with his people through faith. And in our English Bibles, once again, this is the, the name and the word Lord in all capital letters. All right, but here, as Moses opens up Scripture... And begins, he says, in the beginning, God. He uses the word Elohim. And this is why he continues in the second half of this verse. In the beginning, God, Elohim, created. There's our powerful, majestic creator God. He created the heavens and the earth. That we're being introduced to the powerful creator God. The God that created everything. And the the one that created everything everything that we see and we we don't see and everything that came to be is from God. And we're going to dive into the creation account next week, but as a quick note, let me just say this as it relates to creation, okay? So philosophically and scientifically, there's really no way to come to a concrete conclusion as to how creation came into existence because no one was there at the beginning of the world to see what happened. And so we can speculate and look to science, but this is actually an act of faith, because no one was there, only God. And so while hypothesizing and speculating, can, we can do this through science and philosophy, the only way that we can actually know what happened is not through speculation, but through revelation. That there was only one person there, and it was God. In the beginning, God And so it was God who tells us and who tells us how creation came into existence. The author of Hebrews, in chapter 11, verse 3, says that by faith we know how the world was made. And what we see in verse 2, which we'll get into next week, is that the Holy Spirit was there in creation. And that's the same Holy Spirit that inspires the writers of Scripture, Moses, as he writes Genesis, to reveal to us who God is, what God has said, and what God has done. And so the only reason that we know how creation occurred is because the Holy Spirit was there and then he inspired his servant Moses to give us Genesis and to help us to understand who God is. And as Moses begins with God, guys, it's important to note that Israel, all right, historically, God's people had just escaped the oppressive hand of the Egyptians. All right, that the Israelites are, are in effect, like escaped slaves and as they fled Egypt, because they were, they were fleeing and leaving a, a land that was just filled with polytheism and, and pantheism and, and solar and lunar gods, had temples everywhere. They were being worshipped and celebrated. And in Egypt, all right, the hostile pagan culture that surrounded Israel, like adamantly opposed, and they mocked Israel's monotheistic belief that there is actually one God. That in opposition to Israel's monotheistic beliefs, the Egyptians taught pantheism and polytheism, and they celebrated and worshipped a number of different gods and goddesses that they looked to, to for, for provision, for, for hope, for life, for favor. And as the people of God lived among this theology and lived in this ideology, it had a big impact on them. Okay, And so much so that some of the people of God were swept away by these false theologies, And these false gods, and they turn their back on the one true God, the God that not only created them individually, but the God who formed them into the people of God. And the opening line of Genesis, hear this. The opening line of Genesis is like Moses taking on the false theology of Egypt and forever establishing the true reality and understanding that there is, in fact, only one true God. And so he begins with a very direct statement about monotheism over polytheism. And as he does this, I just want you to notice, it's so interesting. He doesn't try to defend the, ins- the existence of God. but Rather, he just says, in the beginning, God. He just has like this declaration that God exists as the one true reigning God directly opposing the worldview and the theology of the culture that surrounded the people of God in this time. Now, let's just pause and back up out of this and ask the question like, what does this mean for us? Because the truth is, is that you can hear that background, the background of, of Genesis 1-1, in really one of two ways. You can either hear it from a historical lens or a theological lens. But some people, you'll study the Bible and, and you'll learn the background of Genesis 1-1 that I just shared with you and think, huh, well, that's really interesting. That's like fascinating history. Like I'm re- that's, that's really helpful to know the context of, of what was going on. And as they learn this, it's simply a history lesson. It's a history lesson that really doesn't challenge them, that doesn't challenge their worldview, their view of themselves, their view of God, but it's just interesting, fascinating history. But I want you to know, Doxa, this is not how Genesis 1.1 is to be read. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God, while for sure a history It's ultimately given to inform and shape our theology, the way that we think about God. And today, this is why it's so important. Today, in our world of of relativism and pluralism and syncretism and all these different isms that you can get into, there are people who view life and view God much like the Egyptians. That those involved in witchcraft and like New Age religions and like the occult, celebrate and worship many false gods and goddesses, just like the Egyptians. We're surrounded by that in in our city. And Genesis 1.1 is a direct statement to say, actually, there's only one true God. And history and time and creation and revelation all point to him. But even more, because if you think about our secularized culture, many people don't believe in one God, let alone many, but just contend that there is no God. All right, that many people of the world today embrace the theology of the the great atheist philosopher, Frederick Nietzsche, who famously said, God is dead, we killed him. People around our city, on our campus, like they believe this. I mean, I was just talking to a student at the first service and he told me, did you know that there is a day where a group of atheists, agnostics, and somebody else, I can't remember what he said, they come together and they celebrate that there is no God. And they put tombstones on Bascom Hill that says Jesus is dead. I mean, this is just the predominant, one of the predominant worldviews that we're surrounded by. That if you're a college student, your 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 professors will say this: that there is no God. It's just matter, it's just energy, it's just material, it's just us. There is no God. But what God is saying is this. I am God. Prove me wrong. And he's saying, I exist. And he basically says through Genesis 1.1, the burden of proof is on you to disprove that he exists. And guys, this affects everything in our lives. That if God exists, the big question that we have to think about and consider is this. What are the implications of my life if there is a God? Have you thought about that? If there is, in fact, a God, like, what are the implications on your life? Because the reality is, God exists, and this affects everything. And so I want to give you three implications as it relates to us and the prime reality of the existence of God. And the first one is this, if you're a note taker. Because there is a God, that means you don't get to write your own story. Okay? You don't get to write your own story. And here's what I mean. All right, there's, a, there's a phrase that has been, and I think largely still is, popular today, and it's this. You do you. Right, have you heard that? You use that? You do you. And, and this phrase, while at the surface seems like really empowering and freeing and motivating, guys, it's a phrase that has the root idea that you are in the place of God. That it's your story. But the story that you live in, it's all about you. And so you do you because ultimately the story, reality, everything is about you. But Genesis 1.1 and the reality of the existence of God really just kind of stops us in our track and says, no, it's, it's actually not that. It's not about you. The story includes you, but it's ultimately about God. That the story of the world, the story of our lives, has God as the author and the director and the playwright. And while we have a very significant role and we mean a ton to the story and the author, we have a place, a very specific place in the story. But our place is not to rewrite the story or try and figure out how we tell the story or how we want it to to play out. It's not our role. Okay, it's kind of like this. There was a man named Helmut Tillich. All right, he's a theologian. Anybody with the name Helmet, you need to perk up and listen to, okay? So, this is the way Helmet Tillich put it. He said that yeah, I, the Helmet thing, I tried to get Lisa to name Titus that, but she was not about having that Helmet thing. But anyway, Helmet Tillich, this is what he talks about. He explained human history as a dramatic play in which God is the playwright. And as we are born, he said that it's almost like we come out onto the stage of human history A story that's already been written, and there have been acts before us and scenes before us, and there's acts and scenes that come after us, and we have a role to play. But when this happens, we have no idea what the story is. That we're born into this story, but we have no idea what it is. We don't know who the heroes are. We don't know who the villains are. We have no idea who the playwright is. We have no idea when the story began, when it ends, how it ends, like what our role is, what our lines are supposed to be. And so we end up with a life of just great confusion and perplexity. And because of this, people are then kind of homeless and lost as they navigate through life. And oftentimes, for many people, life feels without meaning. Life feels without purpose because we don't know the story. It's confusing, and this can lead to depression and loneliness and, and alienation, isolation because we don't know where we come from, we don't know where we're going, we don't know why we're here, and we don't know the story. And this is where the Bible comes in. Guys, that God shows us the storyline, God gives us the meaning, God gives us the direction for our life, but if you think about our world today, just think about Madison, the, the world that you live in right now, what has happened? Because in our culture today, we have like thrown away the manuscript. And much of the world today declares that there is no author. There is no God. And instead of looking to God, the author and the creator, what many people do today is we look to the best-selling books on Amazon. And the books and the podcasts and the blogs that we all read, they attempt to give us meaning and direction for our life. And they encourage us to more or less write our own story and to do what we want to do, to live how we want to live. In effect, it's really kind of teaching people and helping people to to really see themselves as God. That many people today live their lives with the worldview, in the beginning, Rob. In the beginning, Steve. In the beginning, Susie. And we seek to write our own story and do life our own way. And this isn't me. A Christian, let me just talk to you. This isn't me throwing stones at culture because we as Christians, we do the same thing a lot of times. And it's even worse because we come in here and we pump our fists to the new Maverick City worship song and love God and we do all these things and then we walk out of here as though God is dead. And we basically live as practical atheists. But the truth of Genesis 1 Verse 1 That God is the only uncreated and eternal being in the universe who is the creator of all. Because it means that he is the source and the sustainer of every living thing, of everything that exists. And we not only have our being in him, but we live and move in him as well. This is Acts 17 28 where Luke says, in him we live and move and have our being. This means that every person in the universe is subject to God and dependent upon him as creator and sustainer, that no one is autonomous, not a single person is independent. The reality of God means that we're all derived independent creatures, that we belong to God that he is the absolute creator and the owner of everything, and that means that we're accountable to him. I mean, this is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 19. He reminds us of the truth that the whole world is accountable to God because he is the creator of all and God over all. But many people today don't want to be accountable to anyone or anything, and this is why so many people today seek to ignore or discredit, undercut, or disprove the doctrine of God and the doctrine of creation because it gives them the freedom to do what is right in their own eyes without feeling any type of guilt and shame, right? That they don't want to be told that there is a creator. They don't want to be told that there is a God and a king because then that means there's an implication on my life that I, it affects the way that I live. And so the easy thing to do is just discredit God and say that he doesn't exist and then I don't have to feel bad about the way that I live. This is why Psalm 14 one says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But there is a God. And we're accountable to him because he is God and we're not. He's the creator and the author of life and we're not. That he has shaped and drives the story that we live in. And this means that we're all accountable to him, his words, and his ways. And if we don't grasp this reality, doctor, I just need to tell you this. And my job is simply just to tell you the truth. Your job is to figure out what to do with it. But because if we don't grasp this reality that we're accountable to God, the outcome of our story will be tragedy, not beauty. Because it's only when we understand God and the story of God that we will understand our need for a Savior. Because the story of God will show you the tragedy of life, the brokenness and the pain and the suffering that we all experience in this world collectively. And the Bible will say, and God will say, this is a result of sin. And sin in our world is not just in the world, but it's in our lives. And this sin in our lives will keep us from the God who loves us. And it's, if we exist separate, this takes us towards tragedy. But God... Guys, the two greatest words in the Bible, but God. God has made a way for us. And in the beginning, God, this creator God, this great, majestic, powerful God, prepared a way for us to be with him. And this God entered into the human story, and he lived and died for us so that our story doesn't have to end in tragedy apart from him, but can end in beauty, with him, through him, by him. In faith. Because it's, it's not our story to write. It's God's. In the beginning, God. Now, secondarily, because there is a God, because here's what this means, you don't define what is good and true. Okay? I just want you to let that sit in. I mean, this is, this is a heavy one for us, but you don't define, I don't define what is good and true. And if you think about 2020... Right? Throughout 2020, there has been so much that has divided people. Right? I mean, so many things that are just dividing people, ruining relationships. And some of you, you've, you've lived this. You've lost friends. You've, you've created wedges in your family. And in all of these divisions and this disunity are arguments, essentially, I mean, so many of these are arguments around what is good and true in our world. And many people today live and think in a way where people say, "Well, this is my truth." Like this is what I think is true. This is, this is what I believe." But doc, here's what you need to know: Because there is a God, we don't define what is true and what is good. That's not our job. That when it comes to what is good and true, instead of looking internally or externally, we look eternally you understand that all right that that all of humanity when it comes to determining truth and deriving truth and discovering what is true and what is good all of humanity gets that answer from looking in one of three directions some people look internally and they basically in a sense put themselves as God they say I am going to determine what is true in the world and for my life I'm going to determine what is good and this is what I believe it's all about me other people will say, well, I'm not that, I'm not that intelligent. I'm not that good of a person. I failed out of UW. Like, I, I don't have it in me to figure that out. So what I will do is I will look externally, All right? I'll look to culture. I'll look to politics. I'll, I'll look to my professor because he's a doctor. And like, I'll, I'll look to my family and my friends and wherever the masses are going, I will go that way because that's what people are doing around me. As Christians, guys, we don't have that option. We don't look internally. We don't look externally. We look eternally because God is. We look to him. We look to God to tell us what is good and true because God is the ultimate source of truth. And as Christians, guys, this is not what we say. We don't say, well, here's what I think. Here's what I think to be true. This isn't what we say, doxa. Here's what we say, book, chapter, verse. You get that? Book, chapter, verse. That we go to God, we go to his words to us, and we let him, being the God who is, who has defined everything, who's created everything, he tells us what is good and true. But this is not the way our world works, right? I mean, this is a radical idea. This would be radical living. Because in our postmodern world, many people affirm that truth is just relative to your own perspective and that there actually is no absolute truth in our world. But in the beginning, in the beginning, God, He's there and He speaks. And the Bible, which is God's words to us, declares itself to be the truth to this world and for all people. And as God entered into human history, as the man Jesus Christ, he came, and do you remember what he came saying? Do you remember Jesus? Jesus came and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And guys, as we hear this, okay, we have to do something with Jesus. It's, if you've heard C.S. Lewis speak about this, I mean, Jesus, a man who says this type of thing, he's, either, he's one of three things. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord, Right, that we can't be in this place and say, okay, a man says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's either a liar, like the most damnable man that makes no sense that we would listen to any of his teaching because he's a liar. Or he's completely crazy and he's a lunatic, again, which makes no sense why we would be here celebrating a crazy man. Or he's the Lord. And we listen to him. And as Jesus lived, he taught us the truths of God. And as he died, he died giving us the truths of God. But as he rose and beat death, he did so proving the truths of God. And Jesus, through his resurrection, validates all that God said from the genesis of time. And so, Doxa, it's not about us. We don't determine what is good and true all right, we don't rally around the loudest voice in our world. We don't rally around the person that has the most power and influence. We rally around and unite around the Bible and what God says to us, in the beginning, God. This God shows us what is good and true, but the question is, will you receive it? Christian, will you live it out? Because this is the difference between playing religion and, and really being a child of God. Will we hear it? Will we live it? Or will we maintain that it's, it's about you? It's about your truth and your ways. And third, finally, because there is a God, here's what this means. The goal of your life is to know God. Genesis 1.1 shows us that the goal of your life is, is not to figure out who you are, okay? It's not to just figure out who you are as a person, but it's to figure out who God is. Because the greatest thing that we could ever pursue with our lives is to pursue knowing the God that we meet in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, there was nothing but God. Guys, this is what the Bible is all about. The Bible starts and ends with God God is the the bookend to the Bible. The Bible is about God. History is about God. Life is about God. Everything is about God because God created everything and sustains everything. And so here's the question I would ask you to consider as we study the book of Genesis Do you know God? Do you know God? Now, I'm not asking, do you know about God? I'm not asking, like, do you know some of the facts about God? Like, did you grow up in the church? Do you, do you know about him? I'm not asking that. Because you could, you could Google me, right? You could find my rap sheet. You could find everything about me and where I live and all this stuff. You can know the facts about me, but do you really know me? No. There's got to be a relationship there to know me. The same is true with God. It's eternal life, the Christian faith, eternity. This God that we meet in Genesis, it's not about knowing about him. It's about knowing him. This is what Jesus prayed in his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse three. Do you remember what he says? Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Doctor, here's what you need to know. To know God is to know Jesus. To know God is to know Jesus. You can't know God if you don't know Jesus. And to know Jesus is to come to him in faith. And so if there's somebody here today, if there's somebody online right now that you want to know God, you want to see God, if there's someone here that wants to know God, you just need to know that it's, it's through turning to Jesus, looking to Jesus, learning about Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus. This is the step to know God. This is what eternal life is all about. This is what the God who created is all about. Knowing Him, allowing Him to save us, to be with Him for eternity. God wants to be your God. That He already is God. All right? He's existed from the beginning. Before time, space, and matter, God was. He is God, but He wants to be your God. He wants to save you from your sin, save you from yourself, save you from Satan, sin, death, and hell. He wants to do that for you. He wants you to come to him and that's why he keeps bringing you to Doxa. That's why you're here today. You're not here on accident. That God in his sovereignty is pursuing you so that he can break into your life and share something about him and share something about you so that you can meet him, so that you can know him, so that he can save you. Because this is the God of the Bible. This is his story and his plan for your life to know him. St. Augustine of Hippo said it like this many, many years ago. He says, God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in him. Do you know God? Are you restless? Is there something missing? Is that what keeps bringing you back? Guys, this fall, what would it look like for you to prioritize your relationship with God? This is what we're going to do through Genesis. We're going to walk together as the family of God and ask that question, like, what would it look like for me to prioritize my relationship with God? What would it look like for you to give yourself more fully to Jesus, to his love and his service? This is what we're going to do, Doxa. And honestly, I'm excited to find this out as we do this as a family. Let's pray. God, even as we say your name, God, and we're reminded of Elohim, in the beginning, there you were, and you created everything, that you were a powerful creator causes us to pause. God, I, I repent of the way that I, I live sometimes that to think that the world revolves around me, that I'm the point of the story because God, we, we know that you're the point. You're the sovereign one. You're the king. You're God. And Father, I just ask that you just help us to understand what that means for our lives that we would realize that we're part of a story that you've written that's not about us, it's about you, but it's for us, that you love us so much. And I pray that as we open up the Bible, as we start to study Genesis, that you would open up our eyes, that you would open up our ears, that you would open up our hearts to, to receive your word, to receive you as God, to receive Jesus. God, would you radically change our lives? And Jesus, thank you for those who who do know you, that you have changed our lives, that you have made our story not be a tragedy, but beauty. And I pray that, that many more would come to know you, God. Move us in that direction. Help us to take another step as you're running towards us and pursuing us. God, would you help us to just open up our hands to receive you and say, I'm yours. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing, and as we do, we're going to sing and reflect on how great God is. Because the greatness of God should well up in us as worship, wonder, awe, and praise. And as the family of God, as we hear about the greatness of God, the best thing, the most appropriate thing for us to do is to sing. And this is what we're going to do.